0: Good morning. My name uh, is Zach Roberts. Uh, me, me and my wife have been ten, attending here for about two or three years, it seems like. Um, I serve up in the live stream, and then she serves in the nursery with the kids and all that. Um, but uh, it's just been, well, one, nice one to say it's been a really big benefit and like rewarding for us to serve in the church. If it's something that you guys are interested, I know there's a lot of areas where we need help. Um, but just like the relationships, not just like helping out the church, but it's just Keenan and Bella have, like kind of become friends with my wife and I, and we're actually planning on hanging out with them. But it's just not just serving and helping the church, but like the relationships and stuff you build um, is a big part of it. But uh, anyway, uh, if you could all stand with me, we're going to be reading from Ephesians chapter four, verses twenty through thirty-two. It says uh, that, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in Him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were, not, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self created to be like God and true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off the falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for, all, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. Do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. Do do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building up others according to their needs, that that it may benefit those who listen. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ God forgave you. Amen. We are
1: in a series right now that we are just calling Relational Blueprints. And what we are discovering in this series is truly the power of our words. The Bible has a lot to say about our speech, about how we talk, about what we say, how we speak, and how we treat each other. And so in this series... We're really breaking apart these verses from Ephesians, but also from James chapter 3 where he talks about the tongue. And what does that look like for us as followers of Christ, not just to withhold speech that shouldn't be there, but to give out speech that should be there, to allow our lives and our mouths to reflect who Jesus is. And so I'm really excited for this series. As we're learning this, though, right across the hallway, our kids are in the process of learning about Jacob and Esau. And their faith fact for today is that God's plan is always best. I hope that you know that God's plan is always best. It's always better than mine. And that's important. And so um, if you're a parent, um, this is what they're learning right now. You can find it on social media, or if you want, you can even take a screenshot. And there's three different questions there that you can engage your kids with on the way home. But let's dive into prayer and invite God's presence to speak to us today. But I want us to pray specifically from this perspective. When we gather together, together as a church, this is no small thing. This is a place where lives can be changed and stories can forever be altered. When we gather into a context, especially in a room of this size, this is what I know, is that there is very real wounds in this room. But we serve a God who is a healing, working God, who can step into things and in places that might be decades old and bring healing and health and vitality. So would you join me in prayer this morning, specifically asking him to do just that? Maybe in your life, but also maybe just in the person nearby you. Just simply saying, God, today, will, will you allow this to be a place where healing happens? Will you join me in prayer? Father, we come before you. You are a miracle-working God. You are good. You are faithful. You are true. Spirit, we invite you to speak to us to you through your word today that it would become living, that maybe even the same words we have read for decades, that they would just whisper and breathe life into our soul this morning. In a room like this, God, where I know for a fact that there is deep, deep wounds, we invite you, Jesus, to speak in the place of that wound, to bring healing, to bring wholeness, to bring life. But also we pray for us, God, that this would also be a room of repentance, that in the places and in the spaces where we have maimed and caused those wounds, that there would be a heart that says, God, will you shape and change me as well to allow me to become someone who uses my words for truth and life. In your mighty and most holy name, we pray, amen, amen, amen. We're in this series that we're just calling Relational Blueprints, and I have with me the blueprints for the room you're sitting in right now. Yeah. A blueprint is literally, it's a design that shows you what's beneath the surface. Like, so for instance, look at this. This thing's almost as tall as me. This is impressive, folks. (laughs) This right here is a blueprint of the building. It shows you the seating capacity. It shows you like the different rooms. It's got a layout all throughout these pages of where electrical is, where plumbing is going to be. This is a document that took quite a bit of time, quite a bit of work, quite a bit of planning. Um, Someone, I mean, first of all, I just want to know, where do you get paper this size? This is impressive. Like, I'm like, I want some of this for when I'm sermon prepping. This is like perfect. (laughs) This allows my crazy thoughts to go everywhere, right? Um, But what I love about this is this shows you a lot of planning and intentionality because to get something like what we're sitting in, it's important that everything's in its right place, that it's been thought through, that it's been planned, that the roof's going to hold, that's not going to fall down on you, that if you go near a wall, you're not going to get electrocuted, right? That, all good things. At least I hope you think those are good things. So the blueprint is this design that's been thought about and planned well in advance for what someone is going to step into and occupy. We're talking about relational blueprints, how we're thinking and planning and designing with intentionality a space for those that we love and care about that they can walk into and occupy with our words. But if we're being honest as a culture, we're we're typically not that well planned with our words, are we? It usually comes off the cuff. It usually... Happens in a moment of high tension or feeling or stress or pressure. Like, it it almost sometimes feels like our words are an explosion out of our mouth. Like, there can be a moment where, like, it just, it's been bottling up. We've been trying, trying, and then off goes the cap. And it's just like the toothpaste comes flying out everywhere and it can't go back in. You know, last week we talked about the fact that our words linger. Ephesians 4.29 says, do not let... Any unwholesome talk, come out of your mouth. And we said, you know, there's a reason for that. Paul is writing to the Ephesian church and he's challenging them, like, don't let it out. And the reason being is because it can create some major damage and it can linger. It can stick with them for a great deal of time. So we need to be people who are intentional. People who are not letting careless, hurtful, damaging words escape our lips. We need to make sure we're getting out the right stuff. Because this week, what we're really going to focus in on is the fact that words can do one of two things. They can hurt or they can heal. They can hurt or they can heal. So I want to start this morning by taking a look at our deep wounds. Some of our most painful wounds, they don't come with blood and scars outwardly, but they leave immense damage inwardly. I'll say that again. Some of our most painful wounds do not come with blood and scars outwardly, but they leave immense damage inwardly. All right, I asked you guys, what's something that you you almost always carry with you at all times? What did you come up with? Someone just shout out what you had. What is it? something that you carry with you at all times? Tissue. Tissue. That's pretty good. Phone, Phone, yes. Knife, I like it. You're ready for a knife battle. Um, (laughs) No, that's good. Ink pen, what? Address book. Address book. Yeah, they're, they're, each one of us, we've got different things that we almost always carry with us. Oftentimes, it's a resourceful thing, it's a useful thing, it's something that we use on a daily basis. Um, one of the ones that you will almost always catch me with is chapstick. Chapstick. Um, there's a reason for this. This right here is a sign of one of my deepest wounds. When I was a kid, um, I had horrible chapped lips, like horrible. Like I was that kid, like they would inflame up and be like, they would bleed and they would get like red. They would just like, just go all the way around. And of course, if I didn't have chapstick with me, I would get even more nervous. And so what would I do? I'd lick my lips even more, right? You know, like that's the solution. It's kind of like whenever you've got to use the bathroom and there's no bathroom in sight and you just decide to drink more water. Like, not a wise choice, right? But it's like, oh, I got to do it anyways. So, but the truth is, is I remember as a kid, I mean, it was terrible. It was like, I don't know what it was. If I was just like, a, if it's a nose breather, mouth breather, whichever one that causes it, but like I would always get the worst chapped lips to the point they would go... Like, just my whole face would be completely red by it, and I was picked on chronically for it. Um, I'll never forget, I was at church camp, and one of the few fist fights I've ever gotten into that wasn't with my brother. Um, <laughs> we don't count those, because those are like skyrocketing. <laughs> um, but, but I remember we were on the playground, and uh, I had forgot to to pack my chapstick for the, the week, and... Um, I'm sitting there on the playground having the time of my life and this kid just walks up and he just decides to call me Red Lips and that's going to be my name for the rest of the day and so like he's harassing me constantly on the playground to finally at one point in time I'll never forget like it went down I mean and it was like people running from all over and they're dragging us off of each other but it was something that like I mean, it it was brutal and my lips would bleed. I remember I would go to school and I'd panic because I didn't have it. And so the first thing I'd do is I'd go to the nurse, I'd call my mom, like, Mom, you got to bring my chapstick. It was like that scene from Napoleon Dynamite. I don't know if you've ever seen that movie, but (laughs) it's like that scene. Um, But here's the thing I grew out of it. My lips started to get better and better, and to the point that I almost never really needed it anymore. But into my mid 30s, even though I didn't need it you would almost never catch me without chapstick. There's one in my car, one in my gym bag, one in my office desk, one in the console of my car. (laughs) I would buy like the three packs constantly hand over foot. You know what I'm talking about? Like if you're just in checkout line, you see a three pack, whoop, let's just grab it. (laughs) We're gonna need it at some point, right? And what happened was is it stuck with me constantly because the wound was with me constantly. It wasn't that I needed it. It was that that wound was there and it was deep and it was lingering and it was painful. Many of in this room, you know exactly what I'm talking about. It's not chapstick for you. It's what happens when you look in the mirror and you hear that inner voice that starts to speak to you. It's that thing that that person said to you that hurt you, that cut you so, so, so deep that to this day, there's moments when you think about yourself, it's like that wound is connected to you. It's like it's a part of your identity. Wounds go deep, don't they? And man, are we good at creating havoc and pain in creating these moments that linger and last. Again, I'm just being honest with you. I I was in my mid-30s before you would ever find me without one of these in my pocket or within like an arm's length distance of me. Now I usually only carry it like in the middle of winter or times when I know for a fact that I'm gonna need it. But the fear lingered, not because the pain of the chapped lips, but because of the fear of the painful wounds. The wound of words, it lasted, and it was something as simple as red lips. So I've got two questions for us this morning that I want us to wrestle with. What or how have you been wounded by words? And secondly, how have you wounded others through your words? We're going to wrestle with those. What or in what what or how, what ways have you been wounded by words, and then how have you maybe wounded others through words and what should we do about it? You know, when we talk about relational blueprint, the goal is that we want to have meaningful relationships. That's like the whole point of the, the, the blueprint. The goal is we want us to have meaningful relationships. That's the purpose of this series. It's to build and strengthen our relationships with our spouses, with our children, with our friends and community. And this is what I have found, is that typically speaking, the deepest wounds that we have don't usually come from complete strangers, do they? They come from people who are close to us. They come from people that love us. They come from people that were were near to us. They come from people that know and who love us, who have allowed careless words to come out of their mouth. See, we need to be people who guard our words because we understand their power But we also need to be people who use our words because we understand their power. Both is true. Our words can hurt, but they can also help bring healing. People who are intentionally developing meaningful relationships are people who are intentional with their words. I want you to think about that. People who are intentionally building relationship are also people who are very intentional with their words. I don't mean it just comes just like off the cuff or based on emotion. It's something that's thought out, it's planned, it's strategic, it's like a blueprint. They've looked at the scene, they've made designs, they've made plans. How can I strengthen this relationship? How can I build this relationship? How can I make it even better than it was before? How can I build upon what's already there? Or how can I strengthen something that's crumbling thought, and intentionality. See, the goal is for us to have meaningful relationships, so we need to be very intentional with our words. Let's go back to what Paul has to say here, and he talks about understanding our former way of life. Verse 20 says, That is, however, not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. I want you to notice this. He says this. He says there's a new way of life, which is the life of Christ. It's the life that has to be learned and then lived into. It's the life where we grow in our relationship with Jesus, and then we reflect and reveal that to the people and the world that surrounds us. But he also says there's not just the new way of life. There's an old way of life. And that way of life is the way of death in the flesh. And can I just be honest with you? We're very learned in that. We're skilled in that. That comes out of us naturally. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but some of you are sarcasm ninjas in this room. <laughs> right? Some of you in this room, like, like it takes no thought, no, like, having to be deep planning, like, instantaneously, someone attacks or even wounds you, and it's just, like, a verbal barrage of, ah! comes out, like, it's just, like, instantaneous, like, there's an animal that's been released, and then afterwards, it's, like, you're picking up the pieces, like, ooh, where did that come from, right? Um, or maybe you're the person who's really quick with the keyboard, right? Someone posts something on social media and you are ready to go. It's like, we're going to correct your bad thinking this morning since we've ever won a battle on social media. Um, <laughs> my point is this. Um, there's a former way of life that comes naturally to us. And that, yeah, that, that flesh, oh, does it wreak havoc. It demands what I want, when I want it, how I want it, what I want to say, how I want to wound, what I'm going to do, how I'm going to manipulate, how I'm going to twist the situation to get whatever it is that I want to do. And you know what that just sounds like? It sounds perfectly like the plan of the enemy. But there's a second way of life the way of life where we take our life and we submit it to Jesus. We say, God, show me your ways. Refine me, change me. Instead of allowing my life to be used as a weapon to wound and to maim others, grab hold of my mouth and my life and use it as a way to bring healing to even the most painful of wounds. You see, the old life, Paul says, it's corrupted by deceitful desires. Have you ever did something and then afterwards you're like, why did I do that? right? I mean, we've all been there before. I don't even know why I said that. I don't even know why I did that. It's because we have deceitful desires. We are good at not just tricking other people, but we're good at tricking ourselves. Do you realize that one of the most, one of the primary people that you lie to is yourself? When you really want to do something at the bedrock of your deceitful desire, it's amazing the lengths your brain will go to to trick you to do that very thing. That's what Paul says. He's like, you you have corrupted, broken, deceitful desires full of lies and schemes and manipulation to do whatever it takes to get what we want, especially with our words in the midst of arguments. This changes then how we speak to our neighbors and how we treat them. Changes the people we come into contact with. They become objects rather than image bearers. They become a tool to get what we want rather than a child of God we've been called to serve. And one of the primary ways that the old life still shows up, it's in our speech. It's how we will wound and do whatever we can to get what we want. Let's look at how we wound. I want to read to you from James chapter 3. This is a very famous section of Scripture. If if you are, are new to the faith, and I get asked all the time, Pastor, where should I start? What book should I start reading? Read the book of James. James is perfect for our culture. He's bold, he's blunt, he doesn't beat around the bush. You don't have to try really hard to figure out what he's saying. (laughs) He's just like, I'm gonna tell you what, what it is, how it is, and exactly the way that it is. Watch how he describes the tongue here. Verse seven, he says, people can tame all kinds of animals and birds and reptiles and fish, but no one can tame the tongue. It is restless and evil, full of deadly poison. Sometimes it praises our Lord and Father and sometimes it curses those who've been made in the image of God. Just turn on the news and you'll see this instantly. And so blessing and cursing come pouring out of the same mouth. Surely, my brothers and sisters, this is not right. Does a spring of water bubble out with both fresh water and bitter water? Does a fig tree produce olives or a grapevine produce figs? No. And you can't draw fresh water from a salty spring. I don't know if you've ever been to the ocean before and accidentally taken way too big of a chug. You know what I'm talking about? Instantaneously, you're like, right? And everyone around you is like, what's wrong? You're like, I just don't. It's terrible. It tastes awful. No one's like, you know what? I'm really thirsty today. Let me just go to the ocean get a big old glass and just chug that down. No, like, you do that if you've got like strep throat. You're like, <laughs> wash this out. I want us to think a little bit just with me, um, the ways in which we wound. It's important for us to know this because if we're gonna be people who are also people who reflect Jesus by using our lives for the sake of the kingdom to bring healing, we first need to dissect How the enemy wants to use our lives to wound. Number one, when we joke about something that someone's insecure about and they can't change, it's a wound, but we're good at it. When we demean the efforts, the ability, or the talents of others, when we prey on the weakness of someone else and we make it highlighted and put on display before others. Sometimes it's whenever we intentionally neglect or we leave someone out. It's when we respond in anger and we attack because we've been hurt, and so it's like a revenge process where we intentionally hurt as a way of saying, I'll show you. When we talk or we join in talking or we stay in a conversation without leaving about someone behind their back. Whenever we speak and bring out the worst in them so that we look better. Ever done that before? Let me show you all the ways and reasons that they're failing, they're bad, they're terrible because then if I can get you focused on that, I sure look like a better person. When we're jealous and hurt and we want them to suffer as we have suffered. When instead of forgiving, we bring up their past and the ways that they've hurt us. See, what we're doing is we're looking at a blueprint of wounds. Notice what Paul says here. He says, get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. These are the corrupted, deceitful desires. I want you to think of it with me real briefly. Let's break these down. He says, get rid of all bitterness. Bitterness is whenever we feel that we weren't treated right. We didn't get what we wanted or deserved, and so now we don't want someone else to get it either. It's like the, the preschool classroom, right? That's my dump truck, and that little kid's not touching it, so I will bite him. <laughs> Seriously, like, bitterness is one of those things where we're like, I didn't get what I wanted, and I'm mad at them, or I'm mad at God, or whatever, and so I'm going to unleash my life. I'm going to unleash my words, but notice this. Listen. The heart behind bitterness is this. We want to make them feel how we feel. I want them to get a taste of how it feels for me, but in doing so, I'm willing to cross the line and step into enemy territory and allow my life and words to create a wound rather than to create healing. And without realizing it, I've just taken my mouth and been like, here you go, Satan. Use it as a tool for you. Because I want them to feel how I felt. Secondly, rage and anger. The Bible says this, in your anger do not sin. Notice something, anger is not a sin. What you do in your anger is a sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And don't give the devil a foothold. Do you realize that your anger can be a foothold for the devil? It can be a spot that like literally he's got a grip of your life and you become a tool in his arsenal. If you allow your rage to constantly just keep brewing and brewing and brewing till it explodes and pops out, you're just literally handing your life off as a tool and a weapon for the sake of the enemy. Anger oftentimes has this place where it comes from this this standing of, like, I need to get what I want and to do what I want. It can be quick, spontaneous, where our words are not thought through, and in a moment, we will use them to hurt others because we're angry and we didn't get what we wanted. I've noticed this about myself that almost always, whenever I'm angry, it's coming from a place of my own personal selfishness. That's just my testimony. My anger almost comes from a place where I didn't feel like I didn't get what I deserved or what I wanted. And so now others must face my wrath. But when you say it out loud like that, whoo, you're like, I feel like I need to change that. What about fighting and slander? Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor. for We're all members of one body. That's what the word of God says. So what we will often do in the midst of a fight with our verbal a verbal fight and we don't want to be found out, we'll focus the attention onto someone else so that it's not on us. We'll slander them. We'll speak evil of them. We'll talk bad about them. We'll do whatever it takes to get the attention off of us. We will make them look like the next Adolf Hitler. We're like, seriously, I mean, we, we will verbally crucify them just to get the attention off of us. I've seen many a person do this to try to get a promotion. They know that someone's one step ahead of them, and so they will go to anybody that will listen and speak awful of that person. Why? Because I'm trying to even it out so that I rise to the top. Can I tell you something? Even if you get that promotion, you'll never be blessed in that position because you've got it in the wrong way. You'll always be looking behind your back rather than able to step forward with people speaking well of you. We slander, we lie to try to get out of a jam. And then there's malice, where we go out of our way to intentionally hurt people we love, but in that exact moment, we don't like. So I want us to think for a moment, how do we slip into these corrupted, deceitful desires? And there's three ways. We forget, we focus, and we feed. We forget, we focus, and we feed. Have you noticed how quickly whenever you're full of anger or you're in the middle of a verbal battle, how much you forget this person that you love them? Seriously. It's like all of the great things that they've done for you in the past, it's washed away in that moment based on the fact I want to be led by my emotion. Do you realize that that's what's happening is you're allowing, like, I don't have it with me. Someone throw me, I need my keys. (laughs) You don't have my keys on me. I almost always have my keys, but I don't when I preach because I don't want them to look like a giant. (laughs) Throw them up here, thank you, right? This is the keys to, to Brandy's car. So if I wanted to right now, I could be like, see you later and run out and go to her car. <laughs> right? But seriously, no. I've got the keys to her car. I've got the keys to her house. Whenever we allow our emotions to take the lead, what we're literally doing is we're taking the keys to our life and our future, and we're handling it to a spoiled child. Think about that for a second. You're handing the keys off to the people you love most to something you can't trust I am a completely different person pre- and post-coffee. <laughs> right? Some of you, you know what I'm talking about. Take out coffee and insert McDonald's french fry or snacky snack or whatever that is, right? <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. Like, you're hangry and, like, you're a different person pre- and post. Like, <laughs> you know that whenever you're family, you know, you're, you're getting a little antsy and someone just hands you a burger and you're like, oh, is it that bad? <laughs> it is. <laughs> Thank you. Emotions should never, ever lead our life. They're always meant to follow. We should lead our emotions, not be led by them. To be led by emotion is to be like a tornado destroying everything in your wake. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. Listen, it starts whenever we forget. We forget all the things that not only have they done for us, but all the things that our God has done for us and who we are called to be in Christ. Secondly, when we focus. Again, it's that emotion thing. It's focusing on, I want to focus on, what does the enemy want to do whenever you're in the middle of an argument? What does he want you focusing on? This exact moment. Oh man, he will get you in tunnel vision. Just this. Nothing past it, nothing in the future, nothing behind, not what they've done, not how long we've been together. It's it's this second, this emotion, this feeling, this is who I am in this moment. No, it's not. There's a whole totality to all this. It's wanting you to focus on the now and how you feel, what's happening in this moment. And then lastly, it wants you to forget, it wants you to focus, and then it wants you to feed a monster. A monster that is designed to destroy the good people and good relationships that God has brought you into your life. Watch this. This is how our God works. He knows who you are. He knows the path you're on. And right now, my guess is he's probably intentionally brought Great relationships and people into your life that are meant to help you and strengthen you. So, if I'm your enemy and I know that, what do I want your perspective to be towards them? I want you to burn that relationship to the ground. I want you to maim and wound the people who love you the most. Think King Saul with David. David was King Saul's most trusted, obedient servant. And Saul chased him into the hills trying to murder him. And every chance David got, instead, he blessed Saul. That's the perspective your enemy wants. Feed the monster, and it'll get you to turn on even the people you love the most. Interestingly enough, God works with all three of those as well. But instead, he wants us to forget the wrong that is done and to remember the right that he has done. He wants us to focus on what he has accomplished for us, and he wants us to feed and to build that person up for the purpose of their hope and for healing. Let's take a look at spiritual maturity. Spiritual maturity is a realization of the areas of our old nature and desire that linger and want to take the lead. Read with me. It says, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Notice this. So it's this aspect of, there's some things that I've got to take off. There's some things that I owned that I wore and I wore them proudly that need to come off now. There's some areas in my life that I need to submit to the authority and lordship of Christ that I need to ask for forgiveness of, that I need to repent of, and that I need to ask him, God, change me in those areas. God, make me more like you. Make my life look like you, Jesus. Secondly, we need to be quick to confess, repent, and respond in apology and forgiveness and seek restoration. In your anger, do not sin. Don't let your sun go down while you're still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. I, I, when I do premarital counseling, I always tell my couples this. I said, listen, I, I have them create this, like, um, like a marriage argument worksheet that, like, that every single couple, I'm like, you, you create your 10 rules, create your things. And I said, but one of them should, I firmly believe, never ever go to bed angry at each other. Right? You know why? Because if you go to bed angry at each other and you wake up the next morning, and your spouse is sitting next to you asleep. You know what's going on? Look at that punk. <laughs> Getting their little beauty sleep. Not a concern in the world. They don't even care that I'm over here stewing in anger. Like you you're, they're asleep and you're like <laughs> I can't even like <laughs> <laughs> you're like, I need to find something heavy to drop on them. Like, you know, <laughs> like, I'm being serious. Like, listen to me. There's a reason why. Because if you go to bed angry at each other, listen to me, you're going to overthink the way that they look, the way that they speak. Anything that comes out of their mouth is going to be judged from an emotional framework. Second reason why. If you make it a rule, you will not go to bed angry with each other. Guess what? You compromise a lot faster. It only takes a couple times till you're up till three or four o'clock in the morning that now you're like, whoop, we gotta nip this in the bud because I enjoy my sleep. Brother's gonna have to sacrifice his once because I ain't staying up till two o'clock again. <laughs> I'm, being, I'm being real here. There's something refreshing about waking up and the person you are angry with, you're no longer angry with because you put it to bed. That's spiritual maturity. That's growth. That's where you're saying, okay, listen to me. I'm going to choose to be quick to confess, quick to repent, quick to respond in apology. Listen to me. Whether it's in your relationship with your spouse, relationship with your friend, or relationship with a coworker, try to beat them at saying I'm sorry. Make it a race. You don't think that's going to help your relationships? That's going to immensely help your relationships. Number three look at spiritual maturity as the ability to lead our emotions rather than be led by them. It's a change of focus from how I feel in analyzing the aspects of the present circumstance to a focus on how will my response be. There's a big difference between how I feel and what response I choose. We teach this to our children all the time, right? Just because you didn't get what you want, you can't hit Jimmy, right? (laughs) We try to teach that to our kids, it's the same for us. You cannot change what has happened or what has been said or even what has been done, but you do get to choose how you respond. That is a choice that we get. You want proof of this? Jesus on the cross. Father, forgive them, for they don't even know what they're doing. The people who just spit in my face, ripped out my beard, put nails through my body and are laughing at me as I'm dying, Father, forgive them. So, turn to the person next to you and say, it's about to get good. All right. We've looked at a blueprint for pain. Let's look at a blueprint now for healing. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as you've been forgiven in Christ. Kindness. This is an important truth to grasp. For most of us, kindness is not something that comes natural. Amen? Come on. I know I'm not the only one in the room. Kindness is not something that just, like there are some, there are some people and they make me sick to my stomach, okay? <laughs> I'm joking. They're, they're, we need them. We need them in our society. But there's some people that like, they just ooze kindness. You know what I'm talking about? Like they just like float along in this cloud and they're just like kind to everyone. I wish I had that gift. I'm working on it, but it doesn't come naturally, right? <laughs> kindness is actually often the exact opposite of what we feel. Catch that. Kindness is often the exact opposite of what we feel, but oh, is it needed? And where do we get the picture of it? Jesus towards us in the midst of our mistakes. My mercies are new for you every morning. Great is thy faithfulness, O oh God. Man, I need kindness, but more importantly, I need to show kindness. It's not something that's going to come natural or even easy, especially in situations of conflict. But can I tell you, kindness is one of the greatest ways to diffuse a situation. Once you think of that word, diffuse, we use it usually when we're talking about a bomb. It's the stopping of something from causing something tragic. Kindness can diffuse something tragic in your relationship. Yes. Yes. Kindness is a chosen response. It is planned, it is intentional, it's a blueprint. It is something that doesn't naturally come out, but it's something that as we look at the situation, we realize this needs to come out. It is a response that often de-escalates the situation and it paves a road for reconciliation. Secondly, he says be compassionate. Other versions say we should also be tender-hearted. Compassion is the response to us empathizing. It's us putting their shoes on, seeing the situation as they see, seeing their wound, seeing why they responded the way that they did. When Jesus saw the hurting and the broken in scripture, it says that he looked on them with compassion. Oh, how I love that. One of my favorite stories in all of scripture is the woman with the issue of blood because Jesus heals her of her physical wound, but realizes that the deeper wound is her spiritual one, her relational one. For decades, she has went without a single person touching her where she has had to shut out for 12 years. Literally for 12 years, she's had to shut out unclean, unclean, and people would just flee from her. She hadn't had a hug, hadn't held the hand, hadn't been near a single loved one. In 12 years, this disease had ripped everything from her life. And instantly, she's healed. There's a girl who's dying that Jesus is heading towards. If someone else is already healed and someone's about to die, something tells me that where Jesus should be should probably be there. But what I love about Jesus is he doesn't listen to Josh's like, method of reasoning. He goes, who touched me? There's a massive crowd around. Imagine you're at like the most packed concert you've ever been to in your life. That's what it looks like. And the disciples are looking at Jesus like he's not smart in this moment. Peter's like, who touched you? Everyone, Jesus, there's no one not touching you. Like Jesus is like, no, we're not moving until we find out who touched me. See, for that woman, she thought she was caught. I just made him unclean. By touching him, I just hurt the Messiah. He's going to yell at me. He's going to accuse me. He's going to say all those things that everyone else has said to me for the last 12 years. So she tries to hide, but he keeps looking. Who touched me? Who touched me? Who touched me? She finally comes to his feet. It was me. The picture you get is it's like Jesus gets on his knees and he's like, My daughter, your faith has made you well. Yes. He didn't just heal her physically in front of everyone, it was as if Jesus was saying, I so am proud of you and love you. Who will dare accuse her of anything after that moment? Why? Because he was kind and compassionate and tender hearted. He cared deeply. See, compassion comes from a directed mindset. It takes the focus off of me and what I want and my rights and my desires. Can you honestly think about this? What better to come to you in the middle of an argument than me taking my thoughts off of what I want my rights and my desires that's needed that's spiritual maturity when I focus it on the other person and going I wonder where they're wounded I wonder how what I just said affected them if your relationships are plagued with you always thinking about you you will be a terrible friend not worthy of handling somebody else's pain you will be in a series of shallow, empty, and short relationships and you will be unequipped for a lifelong journey with that person. What we need is Jesus. We need forgiveness. There are a few more beautiful words in the human language than a true heartfelt, I forgive you. It paves the road to freedom for both parties. If you'll look at the screen, we're going to watch a video together. I would say to you, this has been a tremendous day, right? My wife, my mother, my father, and they're saying, y'all need to get back together. Yeah. So when everybody called, I said, no question, we're going to do this. And just too many. time after time my Savior looks down and says, my dearly loved son, come to me. Run to me. Confess your sins. Ask for forgiveness. I find the power to use my words to help bring healing because I remember what my King did for me. Listen to me. Nelson Mandela After many, many years of being in prison under a terrible regime and apartheid and all this kind of stuff, he comes out and they're looking for people to essentially bring justice back to the country. And he says, this is what I'm looking for. I'm looking to create a council of people that will help me delegate. And they have to be people who've been wounded. They have to be people whose parents have been murdered, whose sisters have been raped, people who have been bruised and beaten beyond belief. He says, but they have to be people who have forgiven their oppressors. Because the hope for our country will be found in the wounded healers. I want you to think with me this for just a moment. Listen to me. Your king and his glorified body could be sitting in heaven right now in total perfection, but he chose to keep his scars. Your king chose to keep the nail prints in his hand so that he could look in you and me in the face and say, I know what it's like to face the worst this world has to offer. I'm with you. I am the wounded healer. Here's what I want you to do. We're gonna, you don't have to stand just, if you just bow your heads, close your eyes. We're gonna bring the lights down. I've been praying about this moment and I believe that this is supposed to be a moment of freedom and hope and healing. So let me say something to you real quickly. I know you're hurting. You might be 80 years old and it might have been something that your father said to you when you were 5 or it might have been something that he never said because he chose not to be near you he chose absence over presence and the wound was created it might have been something that your spouse had did or said what i do know is this that in this room right now there is very real wounds but please Please hear me. More important than the wounds is that the wounded healer is in the room. King Jesus is present. And he speaks a better word. I plead with you today to hear his voice. He calls you his child. He tells you he loves you. He beckons your heart for more. But what he invites you to do today is to leave your wound on the altar of grace to find forgiveness and healing and allow him to do what he can do. And maybe you're here today and you've been great at giving out the wounds And this needs to be a day of repentance. This needs to be a day where you come before the throne room of God and say, my King, I have allowed my emotions to lead. I have wounded, I have maimed. I have allowed my life and my words to be a tool in the hand of the enemy. And I come before you this morning, asking for forgiveness, asking for grace, asking for you, to take even what I've done and flip it on its head and to be used for your glory. But hear my cry today, please. Don't leave this room carrying the same burden you walked in with. Allow the beauty and the grace and the love and the mercy and the kindness of Jesus to be like a giant beach wave that just pours over your life. Hear his voice, see his kindness, experience his forgiveness, know his grace, and accept it. So right where you're at, everyone with their head bowed and eyes closed, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand or anything like that. This is you and Jesus. What I am going to ask you is this, is I'm going to ask you to respond in this way. I want you to invite his presence into your seat right where you're at. Holy Spirit of God, we come before you right now, all of us, God, broken people. And Lord, we pray that in this moment that you would do a work that only you can do that in this place and in this time that Jesus, you would bring healing to some of the deepest, most painful wounds. God, we pray that right now you would do a work inside every single heart, God. Those places that that evil words have been spoken, those places that things have been done, those places where someone else has allowed their language to be used like a sledgehammer in the hands of the enemy, we ask God instead in its place, would you withdraw brilliant intentionality and love and kindness rebuild their heart let them hear their king fighting for them let them be reminded that you love them let them feel your presence envelop their heart let them feel the tender-hearted compassionate caring of their father let them hear the voice of jesus saying who touched me because i want to look you in the eye and say my son and my daughter faith has made you well Holy Spirit of God will you heal right now Lord let, let forgiveness flow in this room let mercy be experienced in this place let grace overwhelm anger and spirit may we encounter Jesus, we worship you. Jesus, we love you. In your mighty name we pray, amen. We're gonna end just a little bit different today than than normal. So here's how I'd like to end. If you just stay steady with me for just a second. The band's just gonna softly sing behind me. Um, As soon as I walk away from the stage, you are free to go. But maybe you need to linger for just a little bit. Spend some time in his presence. Spend some time saying, God, restore my soul. Bring hope, bring healing. Listen, this is a place of healing. This is a place of grace and mercy and love. This is a place where you can just kind of linger. The band's going to play for a little bit. Um, I'll greet you in the lobby, but can I just please don't walk out of this place just carrying the same thing you walked in with. So I'm gonna pray for you one final time, but as soon as I do that, we'll be done. You'll be free to leave. I would ask if you would help us by just leaving kind of quietly so that those who are staying can pray and process and find the healing in Christ that they need. Because listen to me, there's not a person in this room that doesn't have a wound. There's not. There's not a person in this room, there's not a part of your heart that's been chipped away. Some others, though, it's just a lot more fresh here recently. And so as we leave this place today, um, let's go forth in in the, the trueness of who Jesus is. But let me pray for you one final time and then we'll be dismissed and feel free to linger. Father, we do ask in faith, would you do a work even now? As we sit in your presence, as we linger and as we heal, Jesus, would you do just that? Would you provide forgiveness? Would you provide healing? Would you provide strength? Would you provide wholeness? In the mighty name of your son, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Be blessed.